This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Hi everyone, I'm Jane Tara and I'm chatting to authors and experts about their self-help, wellness and personal development books. If you're looking for ways to be happy, be well and be inspired, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Better Reading B. Georgie Collinson is an anxiety mindset coach, hypnotherapist and nutritionist and naturopath. She was once a prime example of high-functioning anxiety, but discovered a lasting breakthrough method for herself and her clients, which she called the Anxiety Reset Method. This later became a successful online program and podcast. Now she shares this program and more in her great book, The Anxiety Reset Method. I've just finished it. I absolutely loved it. Georgie, welcome to Better Reading B. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be joining you. Well, it's such a pleasure like meeting you and seeing your beautiful surroundings because Georgie is currently uh, sitting in a gorgeous room in Bali, which would suggest to me that a lot of what I've just read in the book, she tries to actually, <laughs> you know, sort of manage and um, and actually live in her life. So look, let's start, Georgie, by just telling our um, listeners a little bit about the book. Yes. Okay. So this book is essentially a week by week process over 12 weeks of working through all the elements that can be contributing to anxiety, looking at it from that really um, holistic perspective. So we want to be covering our thoughts and our beliefs and our emotions. Of course, that's important when it comes to working with anxiety and particularly high functioning anxiety, but there's so much we can do on the physical level too taking care of our bodies, making sure that we've had adequate sleep, that our brain's receiving the nutrients it needs so that we can think clearly, make good decisions and feel better in our lives and have more energy. Mm. And the last component is finding some way, how do we trust in this crazy uncertain life where everything can change at any moment and even the thought of that is such an anxiety producing thought. So how do we develop and cultivate a sense of belief and faith and trust in what we can't see? And that's the third component that we work through in the book as well. Well, I, look, I, one of the things about it that I think is so good is that it is a week by week program. So there are a lot of great books on anxiety and different um, and and books that cover you know, some of the subject matter, um, but it's sort of read it, put it down. Where do you go from there? Whereas this is a really, it's a slow process. And one of the weeks I, I've written a, a few of these down, like week one is tuning in, week two, understanding ex, um, anxiety, week three, believing it can change. And this one really kind of struck me because in other books, it might be a paragraph or something that's quickly covered. Like, you, you know, you believe it can change intellectually you understand this. You're asking readers to spend like a whole week 
on that idea alone, like believing it can change. And you go into a lot of discomfort there as the reader spending a week with that. Like, can you just talk to me about why you you ask readers to spend a week on just believing this can change? Well, I will say to the discomfort first that it is an uncomfortable journey, but anyone who is kind of put off by that idea, just acknowledging you're already uncomfortable living with the anxiety, the perfectionism. So true. Yeah, so true. Yeah. But uh, we are surrounded by people, ideas, concepts that are constantly reinforcing and giving us more feedback and what we would say evidence of what we're already believing. And if we already believe that we're stuck with anxiety, I'm just a high strung, anxious kind of person. I'm that type A personality. And everyone in my family is, it's just how it is. And you see, perhaps maybe you've had an example of a parent or a sibling, and you've watched them go through their whole life and not change. It's very easy to believe that you can't change either. And we all are going to hit this moment of doubt. In fact, you may hit many moments of doubt along the way or disappointment, particularly as we're trying new things. We try that thing, we give it everything. And then, oh no, another crash of my self-confidence, another moment where I'm just feeling like life's too much. And how do I get through this? And so we really have to develop that vision of what we're creating and what's possible for us so that we can keep moving forward and get through those moments where we start to believe maybe we can't change. Our brain has something called neuroplasticity. It means that our brains are moldable, they're changeable. And so we really can change as we start to get used to and more familiar with new ways of thinking your brain will change. And then we add in the physical stuff on the on the side of that, the nutrition, the gut health, the hormone balancing, and it makes the process work so smoothly. Yeah, I find that all so fascinating and love how you weave um, the importance of the microbiome right through the book. Um, talk to us a little bit about the, the gut-brain connection that you talk about because it's... Um, it's quite popular in um, in a lot of this sort of literature now, but it is so essential to have that imbalance to be feeling healthy, isn't it? It really is. And I will say that with a caveat, which is gut health isn't everything when it comes to mental health, which I feel almost the popularity of the topic has swamped our our perception of what it really is but it's a a key pillar and it's one that we can't miss either Mm. so that's just my neutral perspective on gut health but it is so essential and if it's out of balance if we don't have the right combination of different little critters living inside us sending chemical messengers they literally send messages up something called our vagus nerve this big nerve highway connecting our brain to our gut telling our brain how to calm down, giving it the the calming chemicals to regulate so that our nervous system can calm back down. If we don't have that imbalance, it's much harder to feel calm, relaxed, present on a day-to-day basis. And then there's also the realm of typically with anxiety and high-functioning anxiety too, we're used to ignoring our bodies, not listening to them so well. We don't sleep enough. We forget to eat. We push through. And so... There's often some digestive issues there that may have been ignored up to this point or maybe the body's screaming loud enough for you to hear it. And those are things like irritable bowel syndrome type symptoms, bloating, diarrhea, constipation. It's all part of our emotional state. There's there's a lot 
coming out in the research around that potent connection between our emotional state and our digestive symptoms as well. So when we work on the two together, we are really killing two birds with one stone. I like that you um, list very simple ways that um, of things that you can easily add to your life that can actually change the parasympathetic nervous system and um, the, is it the vagus nerve? The the vagus, vagus nerve. nerve. Yeah, it's sort of, you know, and the, so all of that system in your body and you, you list like really simple things like apple cider vinegar and bitter foods, which I do now and cold water therapy, which I do now. And what do you do on a daily basis? All of it. Yeah. I don't, it's, it's got to a point, it's like learning a language. And I say this with the nutrition part too, because it's very much not a diet. And I really don't want to be putting in any crazy food rules. Like there's, I bust through some myths in the book as well. Like does sugar cause anxiety? Not necessarily. And I feel like the demonization of different foods doesn't help our anxious minds either. We really do need to feel some flexibility there. But in my day-to-day, I'm always embracing the cold water. In Bali, I have to go find an ice plunge pool to to get the cold effect. Um, And there's one that I use a lot here. In terms of when I'm at home, I just go dip in in the the sea and it's always cold enough down in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The other things that I do day to day, I just weave them in. It's like learning a language. So it becomes fluent after a while. And when you do take the time to take this slow and add in those tips step by step, because with high functioning anxiety, we're always tempted to go all or nothing, Mm. which means that we're just going to go hard on this, get really excited about it for a week or two, and then we lose momentum. And it's if we can keep going, even when a part of us is bored or wants to give up or thinks it's not working, that's where we really develop these habits for life. And it does become effortless. It can mm. feel like a little bit of work weaving them in at the start, but once you've changed things, and it's pretty easy, right? You're already having a shower every day. How hard is it to turn the tap to 30 seconds of cold water at the end? Yeah, well, I do that now. I actually um, recently read a book by Michael Mosley called Just One Thing. He talks about this. It's just adding small things into your life that over a period of time um, become habits. It just becomes part of your life. And you have so much of that in this book and have structured the book in a way where it's actually really, really easy for readers to do it. Because one of the the um, key reasons that, you know, we might suffer from anxiety is when we feel overwhelmed. And a lot of these books are do this and write this and, and it's all very quick and you're overwhelmed. Your book is like, no, we've got a week to actually work on this chapter. And that's very manageable for anyone. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Yes. Yeah. Especially when it comes to concepts like giving up caffeine for a week and uh, yeah. two weeks, I suggest in the book. I did read that. I, I read past that quite quickly, actually. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I've given up a lot, but I don't know whether I can give up my coffee. But <laughs> Well, the idea behind it, and a lot of people do find resistance with this, is just to take the break for two weeks to mm. see how you feel as an, as an experiment to check in because most of us in our adult lives, it's just become such a daily ritual, daily habit. We've never even stopped to check, is this actually playing into the way I feel each day? And also when we, we're not quite sure, I think I feel perfectly fine on caffeine. Well, what's it doing to your sleep quality? And in two weeks, you'll know that and you'll see the change. And I know it's uncomfortable, another uncomfortable request, but I see the effects of this in my clients' lives far too frequently to not kind of hold you there and kind of say, hang on a minute, there's something to this and pay attention. I might give it a go and I'll let you know how how I go with that. But yeah. I'd be very proud of you if you did. <laughs> Look, one of my favorite chapters is week five, rewrite your story. And I've learned a lot about this um, from my meditation practice. We're so attached to our story, but it's possible to rewrite it. You know, yeah. talk to me about this chapter. Yeah, this is typically, and when I work through this with my clients too, this is the stumbling block of the whole program. It's like, this is the one that drags out for weeks for people. And so if anyone is reading the book and you get stuck there, just know that's normal. And I I do mention that as we go through it, but it's a challenging piece because a lot of us don't want to revisit our story, but unconsciously we are typically telling a story about our lives that's pretty tragic, pretty sad, pretty full of our our disappointments, right? And we really shine the light on all the places we've been hurt and that generally creating a sense of life's against us where we want to not paint over everything with rainbows and butterflies, Mm. but we want to look back at that story, first get it out as it is and really real and raw and all the pain and all the I'm a victim and look at what's happened to me. And then we want to start to examine it and question, well, what might you have missed as well in your life story? Where where were actually the beautiful, good things that happened as well? Because no matter who you are, no matter how tough your life's been and the challenges you've been through, you've had beautiful things happen and unfold in your life too. And it is a matter of tuning into that and finding and looking for those moments and we will find them. And then the other part is re-examining those moments of pain And starting to see them from a greater perspective. Because if something happened to you when you were 12 years old, you possibly haven't ever reviewed it since you were 12 years old with your adult mind looking back at that time of your life. Let's say it was bullying. I was bullied around that time of my life. And if we never go back and examine it, there are all these assumptions and beliefs we've taken on based on what happened without going back. And when we look at something like being bullied, just to use the example, we know that that's actually so much less about anything wrong with the person who's bullied. It's so much more about the bullies. Bullies typically have been bullied themselves or experienced some kind of challenge and trauma in their lives, which has led them to want to inflict and pass on that pain to others because it kind of makes them feel better Mm. to do that. And it just takes a, a shift in perception, really. And that and that is rewriting your story. It's how you perceive your life and your life events and um, how can you rewrite them from a slightly different perspective. 
Exactly. And so maybe even bringing compassion if we want to get ninja level at this to those people who inflicted pain because, gosh, for another human to want to do that to someone else, they must have gone through some tough things. Doesn't mean, you know, you you totally just say that was okay. Doesn't mean you dismiss the, the suffering you went through, mm. but it's just acknowledging and neutralizing the event so that you see it's not personal and it wasn't about you having something wrong with you. Mm. Very good, yes. One of the other things that I found great about this, and I've, I've done it recently, say the last 12 months, is um, news overloads, social media, but mainly news, like I'll quickly check the headlines each day, make sure that the rest of the world is still there. Uh, And then I'm off. Like I don't look at the news. I don't read the news. I just, I can't because it actually makes me anxious. And I think um, a lot of people are predisposed to this, but particularly since COVID, during COVID, it really, uh, I think most of the population was stressed by what was happening in the news. So you step away from that. So you actually advise readers to take a news break. Yes. And, you know, going through the pandemic, we all got addicted to seeing those numbers every day, right? Especially that was a real Australia thing. It wasn't necessarily happening in other parts of the world quite as much as we, our media was really honing on numbers, numbers, and we would be happy if the numbers said something and disappointed or, or, you know, worried if it said something else. And I got pulled into that too for a time, even though this is typically my stance is to kind of keep some distance because it felt like It was having such an impact on my day-to-day life. And the best thing I did during that time was no more numbers. I'm not looking at it. And I'd go phases of about a week or two of completely not checking it, not knowing what was happening, which some people would say is burying your head in the sand. I don't think so. I think we can be informed about the world and important issues without needing that to be kind of shoved down our throat on a daily basis where Particularly, we know we're shown a skewed perception of the world through the news. We know we're shown the most dramatic and attention-grabbing stories. If it bleeds, it leads. That's right. <laughs> and it is, it's a business at the end of the day, just like anything else. More eyes glued on the TV is what is the point of the whole thing. So we do need to kind of take a step back sometimes. What, what are you going to miss if you spend a few weeks pulling back if anything really important happens, you always hear about it. I always hear about things that happen. I have a sense of what's going on in the world, but equally, I don't feel like I need a daily dose. And in, in my family, it's always been a thing of putting on the nightly news and watching dinner, which is so not good for our digestion because we're getting these stress chemicals coming in as we're watching like the disasters going on and terrible things happening in the world. And then we're trying to eat food, but we're in a sympathetic or fight or flight response, which means our digestion is kind of switched off. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, So you don't ever like you don't ever sort of sit on social media and kind of go down the rabbit holes that everyone else goes down or <laughs> you know, I mean it can be very stressful it really can be and when you're playing into sort of current affairs and everything absolutely like just if you yeah. want a different perception of the world then turn that off and and yeah. as you one of the things that you say in your book which is fantastic um it's about giving back, you know. Doesn't that change your perception of the world? 
Yes. And starting to cultivate a sense of the goodness that's in this world too. Not burying your head in the sand, but we have to admit our minds have a bias towards the negative, Mm -hmm. towards seeing this world as a bad place and life getting worse and worse and worse. And there are various angles that we take to cultivate a sense of actually this life is good and life likes me and things are working out for me. And one of the ways we can do that is acts of service. It's giving back to people when you feel like you are in a terrible place, that moment of just coming out of yourself, which is hard to do in the moment. So that's why we have the book there. You can refer back to it as a Bible to support you at times of need. But it's there to remind you, is there something right now you could do for someone else? Mm. And in that moment, all of a sudden, you feel better. All of a sudden, you feel a sense of purpose in yourself. You understand, oh my gosh, I've got these hands, I've got this heart, I've got this mind and this voice, and I can offer that to another person. I can support them. I can listen. Even just listening to someone else and asking, how are you really? Mm. it's something that it seems like it's too hard to do when we've got our own stuff going on yeah but but also anxiety really is um you know I know when it creeps up on me it really is kind of when you're focused on yourself and not focused on what's going on outside you you know so if you're giving back to someone and you're focused on helping them yeah your focus is elsewhere you're not feeling anxious exactly and it could be taking care of another human. It could also be taking care of an animal. That's what I do. I rescue animals. I'm well known for it. I I used to rescue men, but I don't do that anymore. I rescue (laughs) animals now. (laughs) I love it. You're very honest in the book about your own journey with anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, Like talk to me a little bit about that. People can read more about it in the book, but talk to me about how you came to um, sort of discovering how this program can work and also how you incorporate it into your life ongoing because it's my understanding that anxiety might never be completely cured but it can certainly be non-existent in your life for periods of time if you're sort of following these techniques. A lot of people use the term manage anxiety. I really love master anxiety. I like that. So much more empowering. Yeah. And what that means is, yes, we will always experience through our lives at different times, periods of anxiety or moments of anxiety. But when we know how to move through that moment, it becomes so nothing. Like maybe it's the the equivalent of you looking out the window and seeing that it's raining today versus a sunny day. You don't let that necessarily ruin your whole day. You just go, oh, it's raining. I'm going to put on a raincoat. (laughs) And so there's some anxiety here. I'm going to move through this process and it's not a big deal. It's not going to ruin my day. But going back to my experience, look, I was always that high functioning kind of, I mean, going through high school was when it really sort of reared its, its ugly head for me in the sense of perfectionism, being wanting to do really well and be popular and have friends and impress the boys and whatever I could do to be perfect, um, I tried. But then after I left high school and I, I hadn't been through any major unsettling events through my childhood, it was when I hit post that time in my, when I was 19 years old, my parents split up and I go into the story of that, that I was, I was set up to 
kind of be so shaken by that. It was like all of a sudden this rock that I thought was there in my life just turned to quicksand and I felt like I had no support and nothing, like my parents couldn't be there for me, no one could be there for me. And so anxiety stepped in to be there for me and that voice in my head was telling me and that feeling in my body, it was let's something else is going to happen really bad. It's going to throw your whole life out and you've got to prepare for it. And so I tried all these different ways to feel safe and feel certain. One of them was controlling food. Another was taking care of my financial stability. Another was love and connection. And I go into that story in the book, but eventually, basically, it was kind of like following the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, but it kept kind of like moving, you know, every time I got close to to the solution, it was like, yeah, of course, if I have enough money or if I had, if I eat the perfect way and I have the perfect body, I'll be happy. Mm. I'll be happy then. And I never would, was happy. And that anxiety was still there. And I was still feeling this endless pressure and waking up with it. And so eventually I went through years of discovering and figuring out what really works because I was determined to, and I tried everything. I'm very open-minded and I've become more and more open-minded through my life. And so it it's all culminated into the anxiety reset method. But I realized that we have to do deeper work on ourselves, working on our deeper beliefs around what, 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 what are we so scared of? And really questioning that, rewriting our story, looking for all the gunk that's sort of stored up in our system that we're not even seeing and aware of can really help to liberate us and get us to a place where we start to see that we don't have to be running all the time. Mm. Nothing's going to get you. You're going to yeah. be okay. Absolutely. And I like what you said earlier in the podcast as well about um, if you, I can't remember what chapter we were discussing, but if you get to that chapter and you're struggling, there's a lot of people who struggle on that chapter and it might take weeks. So Mm. you've set this out as a week to week program, but actually it's a slow take and it can take weeks on just one chapter. You just sit with that. And I mean, change, it's kind of a spiral of deeper truths, isn't it? So I can imagine it's the type of book that you would go back to again. You get to the end and you go back to it. What else can you incorporate this round? What have you learned about yourself this round? Yeah. I recommend reading through it all once in one go and working through it succinctly. And then you can just open it at a random page when you do need to feel that. And there's a checklist at the end as well that summarizes the whole thing so that just on one one or two pages, you can just see it and go, oh, that's what I need to do. But going through it all once is really valuable. And yeah, it might not take exactly 12 weeks, but that 12 weeks sort of process is there. It is doable and it's there so that you've got a time frame to complete it within so that otherwise we, you know, how many books have you, have you got? I don't know if, I mean, you're yeah. obviously a great yeah, no, you, You've got to hold yeah. yourself accountable too. Yeah, I we, mean, if you want change, to- change. Do it. That's finish right. the book. Finish the course. Absolutely. Yeah. That's right. I don't um, want people getting stuck halfway. <laughs> no, no, that's right. That's right. Well, it, you know, if it gets too much, put it down and, and come back to it in a few days and make that shift, whatever that shift needs to be. So what's one top piece of advice you'd give to listeners about reading your book? Oh, really commit. Commit to the discomfort of the process. You're already uncomfortable. So let's now take the power back and you can choose the discomfort you're in. Choosing a discomfort that's going to have you grow 
and have you ultimately feeling more connected, more calm and more confident in yourself. Uh, That's great. It's great advice. It's an excellent book. The book is The Anxiety Reset Method. Go grab a copy. I loved it. I'm going to read it again, uh, uh, take my time with it next time. Uh, Georgie Collinson, it was an absolute pleasure talking to you. Such a pleasure to be here. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.